0: Today's question is anonymous. Uh, Whether it's from a man or from a woman, I don't know. Here it is. Pastor John, why did God make some people ugly and unattractive? How can I accept the fact that God, though capable of making me beautiful or at least average looking, chose to create me in an unattractive manner? As an unattractive person myself, I can say life is tough for us. Our opinions and ideas are most often sidelined. We have it tough in offices and schools and colleges. I can't express in words how difficult it is to be confident. This is straining my relationship with God. Clearly in the Bible, there are some features described as examples of beauty. I count dozens of verses in the Bible that speak of physical beauty. Uh, Moses was a fair and beautiful child. We see that in Exodus 2.2 and Hebrews 11.23. David was ruddy and handsome in appearance. 1 Samuel 17.42. Esther had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. Esther 2.7. Absalom had thick hair, and from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. 2 Samuel 14, 25. Now, I know God is concerned about what we do with our bodies, and he cares about our bodies. So, why does he make some of us so unattractive?
1: When I hear a question like this, it makes me groan. Partly because I can count on three fingers, maybe maybe less the people who have ever called me ugly or handsome. In other words, I groan because I know I'm being asked to speak to a sorrow that I've never tasted. It would it would be so much easier for me to just ignore this question because I know that when I'm done, many people would have the right to say, but you've never experienced this. Hmm. And that's true. Another reason it makes me groan to hear a question like this is that I know that what this person calls ugly is the tip of the iceberg of human suffering when it comes, for example, to horrific deformities, the kinds of dreadful disfigurements that in another age would be exploited. In what were often advertised as freak, human freak shows. And then there are the kinds of diseases that produce hideous malformations and growths and cankerous open unhealable flesh and then there are ghastly wounds that leave a person in pain the rest of their lives disabled unsightly. So As I try to say something biblical, which is all I have any claim to say as far as helpfulness or authority goes, I have all of that in mind. I I see this question about ugliness as a species of a larger question about disfigurement and disease and deformity and injury. And if anyone thinks this is not relevant for them, (laughs) <laughs> Keep in mind that you you may not start life ugly, but you may well spend the last year curled up like a in a fetal position, weighing 80 pounds and wearing a diaper. Very few people escape the relevance of this question at mm. some point. I think the deepest answer to the question why there is so much ugliness and deformity and injury and disability and misery in the world is found in Romans 8:18 8, to 23. I don't think it gets any more helpful or important profound than these verses. So I want to read the whole thing, making comments as I go, because I think this paragraph is worth meditating on the rest of your life. Here's what he says. This is Paul in Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Now, I'm going to include in that uh, every form of of ugliness or disfigurement, and you'll see why I, I include it in this word sufferings as we go on. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the fundamental hope of Christianity is suffering now, glory later. Suffering now, glory later. Now, what kind of suffering? Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, take note, this is not persecution suffering primarily here. This is creation-based suffering. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, who's that? That's God, because only God subjects the creation in hope. The devil doesn't do that. Sinful man doesn't do that. Only God subjects the creation to futility in hope. So, this is a reference to the fall. Genesis chapter three, the fall into sin and the consequent miseries that were brought into the world. All the horrific consequences of sin, including every disfigurement, every injury, every disability, every catastrophe. And so he says, God subjected the creation to that in hope. What hope? Verse 21, that the, the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now, that's just another phrase for subjection to futility. So you get subjection to futility and bondage to corruption. Corruption, the word decay, ruination, futility, horrors and obtain, continuing now with the description of the hope, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the physical world, the creation, including our bodies, will share in the glory God has destined for his children. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What an image. This is another way of saying subjected in hope. It's as if the creation is pregnant and all the pain and misery and disfigurement are like cosmic birth pangs, a mother crying out in pain, a world in labor. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. Now, Here's where it gets really personal. Not only the creation. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. And you can hear Paul responding to people here who say, Look, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. I have the Spirit of God in me. How can it be going so bad for me? And he's drawing attention to that. Yes, you too. You too groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And here's the phrase the redemption of our bodies. That covers the whole waterfront of aging miseries, disease miseries, disability miseries, ugliness miseries. In other words, he makes explicit that the horrors of groaning and corruption and futility include spirit-filled Christians, our bodies. Our bodies, John Piper's body, Tony Renke's body, everybody's body desperately needs now or will need soon redemption. We feel it in disease, we feel it in aging, and we see it in the mirror, some early, some late, and that redemption is coming. I think that's the most important passage in the Bible for our friend to think about, ugliness and disfigurement have their roots in the origin of human sin. Now, listen carefully, because this could be so easily misunderstood. Not in a person's particular personal sin, but the origin of human sin in Adam and Eve, which infected the whole human race. In his wisdom, God decreed that there would be physical manifestations of the horrors and outrage of sin against God. This does not mean that everyone's disability or everyone's disease or everyone's disfigurement is because of their own sin. John 9, 3 makes clear that's not the case. They asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the point is, Romans 8 gives a global explanation for why there is such a thing in the world as ugliness and every form of physical misery. God brought the physical world, the bodily world, into sync, into correspondence with the moral world. He made physical ugliness and misery correspond to moral ugliness and misery, even in some of the most godly people on the planet. Every bodily or material burden in the world should point us to the burden of sin. Every ugliness should point to the ugliness of sin and Satan. Satan is a real secondary cause under God. He is immediately responsible for many physical horrors. Jesus said that in Luke 13, 16. There was a woman bent over for 18 years. So picture her. She's probably walking at a 90 degree angle with a horrible scoliosis. And he says, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed? So all physical ugliness and deformity and misery points to the moral ugliness and deformity of sin and Satan. And then, within that global sorrow and corruption and futility, God saves sinners and promises new bodies at the cost of his son's life. He sends Christ into the world described like this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53 2. He took it all on himself, all the ugliness, all the misery, and died to put an end to all ugliness and all misery for everyone who trusts him and treasures him more than we treasure human beauty. And then. He makes all physical ugliness in his precious blood-bought people, he makes all physical ugliness serve to show his own worth because he satisfies the soul so completely and promises a future so glorious that he makes his homely family happy. And that happiness, in spite of all earthly rejection, bears witness to the all-satisfying moral beauty of Christ and the confidence we will share in it. Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, especially in our temporary
0: ugliness. Yeah, thank you, Pastor John. That's a good word, pointing us back to the satisfaction that we have in Christ and uh, in the beauty of his cross, the beauty in the ugliness of the cross and in his crucifixion. Thank you for joining us today. You can ask a question of your own. You can search our growing archive or subscribe to the podcast. You can do all of that at desiringgod.org forward slash ask Pastor John. Well, speaking of delighting in God, that's the topic next time. How do we experience more joy in God? especially when we feel stuck. It's a part of Christian hedonism that really often goes unnoticed, and we're going to talk about it next time. I'm your host, Tony and We'll see you back here on Wednesday.